Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. However you find the show on streaming, terrestrial radio, satellite radio, early adopters on podcasts, thanks for being with us. Listen, you come to the show for politics, policy, and pop culture. All three are implicated by the war in Ukraine, and a lot of other things are implicated. Economies, yours and others. Geopolitics, America's friends care about what happens in Ukraine. America's enemies, North Korea and Iran, chief among them, care about what happens in Ukraine. America's chief geopolitical rival, China, cares deeply about what may or may not happen in Ukraine. That's why it's going to be the focus of the show for the foreseeable future. Our guest this week, President Trump's second national security advisor, H.R. McMaster. He has a Ph.D. from the University of North Carolina in American history. He is... Among his contemporaries, one of the most important military thinkers and strategists of his generation. HR, it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Major, it's great to be with you. And thanks for what you're doing with this podcast, because we need more of this. We need more uh, people, I think, exploring these issues in in, in greater detail and, and having meaningful discussions, right, about the challenges and opportunities that we face internationally. Thank you. So let's start with some uh, bullet points, if you will. And I use that, obviously, metaphorically. Yesterday, we're recording this the morning of March 17th, and I want to thank HR for getting up really early on the West Coast to be with us. President Biden, in response to a question after an event in the White House, said, yes, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Is that true? Should the president have said it? And what are the implications of a president saying that? Major, I think it's true, right? It's time to, it's time to pull out all the stops, right? So, so you know, the, the definition of terrorism is the use of violence against innocents for a political purpose. That's what he's doing right now, you know, in, in, in Ukraine. And so I think I think we ought to designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism because that's what they're doing. And, and I think Vladimir Putin's a pariah. And, he, and, he, and can, can you imagine, Major, that he's going to be welcomed back in to the halls of power? Can you see him walking in to the White House or, you know, or to the European Union in Brussels or, or the General Assembly? Or the General Assembly, of course. I mean, I mean, can you you can't imagine it? So I think I think that was the right move, but it needs to be followed up. I think with some more concrete action, like, well, I think like like designate Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism, like you know, like sanctioning the hydrocarbon sector, you know, like providing Ukraine with some of the more defensive more of the defensive capabilities they need, like like medium range air defense capabilities or short ship mm-hmm. missiles, or you know. So I, I mean, I think that. 
it's important now that we pull out the stops. I mean, you know, this guy is committing mass murder of innocent people every day, right? And and so we we can you know we can you know we 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 can cry about it, you know, we can be sad about it, but we have to actually do something about it. Earlier this week on CBS Mornings, and the reason you were there is one of the reasons you're also here. Not only are you a deep thinker on this, but you're also a CBS contributor, and we're very glad about that. You said the White House should not, and the president should not, talk about World War III. Why not? Well, you know, because, Major, this is what Putin's trying to do, right? He, you know, he pulled out his nuclear saber, right, and he rattled it. And, and, the, and the reason that, that, that Putin did this is because, you know, it's been part of their doctrine to do it because this is a way that, that that Putin thinks he can accomplish his objectives below the threshold of what might elicit a concerted response from the United States, from the European Union, from NATO, from, from you know the free world. And I think that, that what we have to do is, is we have to not allow him to threaten the use of nuclear weapons so he can continue to commit mass murder uh, in, in Ukraine. And and uh, and so whenever we 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 say that those words World War Three we buy into his narrative, and this is a narrative that is associated with this his doctrine of escalation, domination. And more to the point, do you believe that that language rhetorically paints us into a corner? It does. Yeah, it it, it does. And so, Major, one of the things that frustrates me is like, you know, why why do we keep talking about what we're not going to do? Right? I mean, like, hey, just stop doing that. Stop taking things off the table. I mean, Putin has created a, a real problem set for himself, right? His, his economy is being destroyed. You know, he, he, you know, he is, I think, in, in a very weakened position internally, although it's very difficult for any of us to understand what, you know, what's happening inside of the Kremlin and in the power structure there. You know, but, but he, you know, he's created problems for himself. Stop taking those problems off the table. Create more dilemmas for him. And, and this is, I think, analogous to, to what we did really Going back to last fall, why the heck did we did, did we pull our naval forces out of the Black Sea? I mean, th- that removed a dilemma for him, right? And why do we mm-hmm. keep talking about things we're not going to do? We're not going to send MiGs, you know, or use a U.S. base for MiGs to be transferred, for example. Uh, these are these are the Russian fighter jets, you know, to to uh, to to, to uh, Poland. And just, I mean, if, if you're not going to do it, just don't talk about it. Right, right. Did you watch uh, President Zelensky's speech to Congress? I did. I did. Your reaction? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Right. So, so I, I think he is emerging as you know the, the the galvanizing figure of our age. Right. So, so you know, Major, what 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 we've been in denial about is is we've been in denial about geopolitics. Right. Geopolitics is back with a vengeance. Right. We at the end of the Cold War we. You know, we, we wanted to we, we had a good reason to be optimistic, right? We won the Cold right. War against the Soviet Union and and and, uh, and and communist totalitarianism. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. reason to celebrate. I was there on the east west German border when it happened. Right. So, so so reason to celebrate. But, you know, we became complacent. You know, we believed uh, in, in the in the sort of simplistic view of, of Frank Fukuyama, who's my my uh, my colleague here at Stanford, you know his right. his thesis that an arc of history, it, right, right, an arc of history, you know, had 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 guaranteed the primacy of our free and open societies over closed authoritarian systems. There are so many examples of this in recent years. I mean, you know, I don't want to caricature anybody, but remember when remember when when John Kerry, who was the Secretary of State at the time, uh, when 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 
when Ukraine when Ukraine first became subjected to a physical invasion, you know, by mm-hmm. by the Russians in 2014 when they added Crimea and they invaded Eastern Ukraine, he said, "Oh gosh, you know, that's so." You know, 19th century. You know, what are they doing here? You know, of course, you know, he was in denial about it or when or when he was in the debate with uh, with Mitt Romney when uh, during the presidential uh, debates. Uh, President Obama was at the time in, in, you know, in in the in the 2000s. And and uh, and and Mitt Romney said, you know, Russia is really a right. You know, a a really the number one geopolitical threat, a geopolitical threat. He said, you know, number one, he said the 20th century is calling you. To get your right. foreign policy back. Okay, so, all right, we took a holiday from history is what we did. And, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, history, geopolitics is coming back with a vengeance now in large measure uh, due to our complacency. But I would say, Major, I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not primarily due to our complacency. It's primarily due to Putin's aspirations, right? What mm-hmm. Putin wants to achieve that is, I think, independent of uh, of what we do, right? So so Putin actually has aspirations that go far beyond, you know, his, his response to to what we do. Mm-hmm. We got about a minute to go before our first break. HR McMaster and there was a report yesterday in the Financial Times that oh, there might be a negotiated settlement. The stock market went up as a result. <laughs> Does that suggest that the West is overly eager for a negotiated settlement here? And should we temper any sense of potential enthusiasm about this negotiated settlement happening anytime soon? Absolutely. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? Do you remember, Major, like it, when COVID started? Every, oh, it's it's, it's going to be over, right? This is like in, in the spring of 2020 uh, when when all of our families moved back in with us, and, and this always you know it, it's not going to happen, Major, because I think you know Putin has staked out an extremist position. Right. And on based on fundamentally flawed assumptions, all of those assumptions are false. Right. The Ukrainians have no national identity. They're going to fold right away. This guy is Zelensky. Right. He's a you know, he's a you know, he's a you know, he, he's an actor. He's a comedian. Right. He's a ballroom dancer. He's going to fold. Right. I mean, all uh, the, the Russian military has tremendous prowess. Right. It's going to it's going to, it's going to accomplish objectives within the first few days. So he said, HR, the, hold up, hold that thought, hold that thought. I'm going to jump in right now. Cause I have to hold that thought. We'll pick up on the other side. I'm major Garrett segment two, the takeout in just one second. Angie's list is now Angie. And we've heard a lot of theories about why I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. H.R. McMaster, President Trump's second national security advisor, also a deep thinker on all matters military and a successful combatant himself in Iraq and other places for the United States military, United States Army, West Point grad, Ph.D., University of North Carolina, American history. Continue your thoughts on what Putin thought would happen and what's actually happening. Major, you know, he he really, uh, I think, fell into the trap that leaders do, authoritarian leaders in particular, who draw this circle really closely to themselves. You know, he, you know, people started telling him what he wanted to hear, right? Because like, if, if you don't tell what he wants to hear, you're going to be gone. So, so, 
So uh, w- what did he hear? He heard that Ukraine is not does not really have a national identity. And re- remember, last summer, he published this long 6,000-word yep. essay under his name in which he said, okay, you know, U- Ukraine has always longed to be part of Mother Russia. It has no national identity. So the second flawed assumption was that that the, that the Ukrainian military would fold, right? And he assumed that you know, the old saying, the military is always re- re- prepared to fight its last war. Well, in this case, mm-hmm. I think that's often not true, right? But, but in this case, it was true. And he was thinking of the Ukrainian army and the military of the Ukrainian mil- mil- military of 2014, right? When, when he first invaded Ukraine, when he first, when he annexed uh, U- uh, Crimea. Well, it's not. It, it's improved tremendously. It, it's, it's focused on, training and professionalism and 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 of course you know it's motivated it's animated you know by by a spirit of uh, of the need to defend their country against russians uh you know russian uh aggression on that on that point hr it almost feels as if putin thought that this would be analogous to the germans in their two-week march into paris and france in world war ii that they would capitulate, they would decapitate the capital, take over the country, and it wouldn't take much time. All that menacing preparation in the months before would lead to the Ukrainians to yeah. yield and roll over, well, much as the French did in well, World War II. Six weeks, actually, right? And 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 uh, in in, okay. in, in, uh, in in France and and uh, and you know, and that had everything to do with it, with the other factor, right? National will, right? He wrote national will off. Look at Mariupol, right? Look at Kharkiv. Look at these cities that have been subjected to indiscriminate bombing and mass murder of innocent people, and they're more resolute, right? And so, so the the the, the issue of national will, which you're alluding to in 1940. I mean, so a book that that our viewers ought, ought, to, ought to check out is called Strange Defeat uh, by Mark Block, and and what he does in that book it's a it's a, it's a small book is he explains the, the the collapse of France in 1940 and he explains it largely as a failure of national will but the but the other the other the other analogy i think is is Poland 1939 and and there's a book by Roger Morehouse it's entitled you know appropriately enough Poland 1939 and in this book and in this book he he describes how Nazi Germany set up right this the 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 invasion of Poland right and did it in collusion you know with with Molotov in the Molotov pact with the with the Soviet Union and and uh and I'm telling you major I mean the parallels are striking in terms of all the false flag operations and so forth and you know but but I think we should take inspiration from that right the Polish people endured I mean unspeakable hardships Look, but look mm-hmm. at the Polish nation today. Look how strong they are. Look at how resolute a supporter they are of, of Ukraine for good reason, because they lived through it. And then, you know, I, I think there are other examples in history we ought to look at. Look at Finland, actually, in the same year, 1939, um, 1940. And and also, I think, look at the Montenegrins in the 19th century, you know, uh, who who fought off a huge Ottoman assault on them. And and so what I think what you're seeing is is that just an, an example of 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 popular will of people coming together. Mm-hmm. And you know how does your heart not go out to Ukrainians? You know who are who are so courageous, who are so you know uh, resilient. So 
HR, what does Putin do with all these miscalculations? There is a great sense of anxiety about his state of mind, yeah. about this idea that the Russian military did not perform as well and is not performing as well. His options are increasingly limited. Russia may this week or sometime next week default on one of its repayments of sovereign debt. All of these things create an anxiety about his limited options and increased fevered mentality. What are your thoughts? Make sure Russia fails, <laughs> right? And I think that's got has to be our objective, right? And because you know, if if Putin and Russia you know doesn't fail right now, I mean this 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 conflict's not over, right? I mean, I you know we're, we're talking about like will it get resolved? Are there peace talks? Hey, this is going to be with us for a long time, right? I mean, what do you mean by a long time? HR? I think months, potentially years, right? Because I mean, British intelligence says fifteen to twenty years. Yeah, you know, I, 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 well, I think potentially yes, but we, but we, we have some agency over that, right? We can, we can affect that. You know, we can sanction hydrocarbons. We can provide Ukraine with with some additional defensive capabilities. You know, medium range air defense, shorter ship missile capabilities. You know, we, I mean, we need to do that because it's not going to be over, right? You know, if if Russia were, which they can't do it, they can't, they cannot subjugate all of Ukraine under a puppet government. Mm -hmm. That was their objective. It's impossible at this stage, I think, for them to do it. But but what they can do is they can keep a conflict going. They can continue to inflict. You know all sorts of unspeakable, you know, hardships and 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 brutality uh, on the on the on the Ukrainian people. So, what what do we do? I mean, I, I think that what we have to do is we have to win, right? And I'm telling you, the word "win" is is a word we don't use enough anymore, right? I mean, mm -hmm. remember remember when, remember when Ronald Reagan was asked, you know, hey, well, you know, right. you're because you, he was a Cold Warrior, right, against the Soviet right. Union, and and they said, what's your strategy? And they said, what's your strategy? He goes, hey, my strategy is like. We win, they lose. They lose. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Very how about some of that? On we this program, on this program last week, H.R. Uh, McMaster, Mike Quigley, congressman from Illinois, Democrat, co-chair of the Ukraine caucus, said, the war is already here. We're already at war. Let's stop quibbling over what is or isn't provocative to Putin. Don't give him the luxury of defining what provocation is help the Ukrainians prevail. I gather you agree. You know, I agree. I agree. But but of course, I think you have to, you know, I, I think major, we ought to have like a framework for understanding every action we take, right? And and to mm -hmm. evaluate it. And I think there are some objectives that we're pursuing that are in tension with, with each other. So the, the objective we've talked about is, okay, make sure Russia fails. Objective one. Objective two ought to be, you know, it, 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 you know mitigate the humanitarian catastrophe, in Afghanistan, provide all the assistance you can. Ukraine. In, in, I mean, yeah, in, in Ukraine, the, the, to help the Ukrainians in any way you can. The, the third would be, I think, to uh, you know, to to prevent escalation to nuclear war. I mean, that has to be an objective. Yes. Uh, and the fourth, I think, should be to use this crisis to shift the balance away from authoritarian powers, Russia and China, and, and, and toward the free world. Right. And this is a great opportunity to do that because it's rare that you have this kind of clarity, right, between our system, our free and open democratic system, and Russia and China. And you know, these are countries that 
that that you know, that are shutting off any kind of information that, that that is not you know the state-based propaganda. They're killing journalists. They're imprisoning journalists. You know, these are people who you know in in Russia, right? Putin likes to look strong, right? I mean, he's the he's the the shirtless man on horseback, right? But you know, I mean, you know, Putin uh, has more political prisoners in jail in Russia than than were in jail during the height of the Soviet Union, right? He has more people in his internal security service. Than he has in the Russian military. Does that make him look, make him actually weaker than he looks? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you, Major, what one of the things that I, I have no idea about, and I don't think anybody does, is what is the power structure within the Kremlin, right? What could happen? Could there be a palace coup as, as Russia's economy, based on these unprecedented economic and financial sanctions, is, is, is cratering, right? Uh, and this is, this is one of the things I think we need to give the Biden administration big credit for right is is the amount of unity you know and 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 the and and how much consensus there's been across the free world on these sanctions i mean we're talking about just not only the u.s and the european union and the uk but we're talking about you know japan right the world's third largest economy and and south korea and hey how about singapore right i mean there there are countries who have joined us in this uh lots of people are in hr let me grab a quick break we'll come back and talk about china we'll talk about whether this is the west's fault because there's an intellectual argument about that I want you to weigh in on and more. I'm Major Garrett, segment three of The Takeout with H.R. McMaster in just one second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment three of The Takeout. H.R. McMaster is our special guest, CBS contributor, second national security advisor to President Trump. He had four, if you were counting, because I covered the White House. I I counted and met all four. I was going to say one of many, one of many. (laughs) <laughs> One of many, exactly, exactly. So real quick, HR, uh, the conversation about a no-fly zone. Should there be one? And what are the risks involved if we, in yeah. fact, do that? Well, there should be one, right? We, we Probably everybody agrees that there should be one. But, of course, any action you take in war is not, is, is not without risk, right? Because war is, is, is interactive, and your enemy has a say in what happens next. But you know, what I would say, Major, is like, how many deaths are we willing to just watch, right? You know, mm-hmm. and... And the estimates now are that, you know, heck, there, there could be a million deaths. There could be 10 million refugees, right? So I just think whatever we're going to do when there are 1 million deaths, we should do right now, right? And, and, and to try to mitigate the humanitarian catastrophe. Now, of course, again, it's not without risk, but there are some messages I think we could give Vladimir Putin, right? What, 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 one of the things that, that bothers me is, I mentioned this before, you know, is that, okay, why, why do we, why are we, talking about what we're not going to do talk about just don't talk about it if you're not going to do it just don't talk about it and so i think what's happened is some of what the biden administration has done before the invasion and up to now has almost inadvertently greenlighted what putin's doing because now he's assured okay well yeah yeah of course they're not going to do a no fly zone they're not going to challenge the black sea right they're not going to introduce their own troops they're not going to keep their advisors there they're not going to keep, I mean, one of the things that bothers the heck out of me 
you know, major is, is that, you know, we, we run away from these conflicts, right? I mean, you know, why did we evacuate everybody from Kiev? Why, why do we do that, right? We just saw three courageous leaders of European nations take a train to Kiev, right? But we evacuated right. all of our people. And as Churchill said after Dunkirk, right, hey, you know, it's great for us to high five each other, but evacuations don't win wars, right? And so I think we should have created more dilemmas for Putin and, and stopped cataloging all the things we're not going to do. Mm-hmm. So you are a historian. You know there is a conversation that is not a fringy conversation. It's a robust conversation that in some quarters, the West provoked this, dating all the way back to 2008 yeah. when yeah. NATO invited Ukraine and Georgia in a general sense to eventually join NATO. A very significant person who I'm sure you're familiar with, John Mersheimer, who is a protege intellectually of George Kennan, one of the most important architects. No, don't don't lump those guys together. Come on. I mean, Mearsheimer is a, is a he's a an ideologue, right? Mm-hmm. Kennan is a real scholar, historian, diplomat. But okay. anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. He has argued. John Mersheimer has argued that the West provoked this because it should have known and should have respected Putin's sense about Ukraine territorial proximity and implications of it either joining or aligning itself with the West. Just, he argues, I'm not saying this, I'm saying what he says, we would view askance and view as hostile any outside effort to do something within our hemisphere, Central America or South America, that was directly threatening to U.S. interests. I want your response. Well, you know, this is an astonishing example of moral equivalence, right? And and, you know, Mearsheimer and others who are with him in this so-called realist school of American mm-hmm, foreign right. policy are actually ideologues, right? They're ideologues because they think America's disengagement from complex challenges abroad is an unmitigated good because they actually see us as the problem. Now, think about that, right? Actually, what they're assuming is that Vladimir Putin has no aspirations beyond those that are in reaction to us. These are people who I, I believe who are guilty of what I describe in, in the book Battlegrounds as uh, of strategic narcissism, the tendency to define the world only in relation to us. Hey, but, you know, Vladimir Putin, he has aspirations of his own that he's made quite clear, actually, when he took power in 2000, in the year 2000, which he made even clearer right through his actions and through a speech he gave in Munich in 2007, through denial of service attacks in Estonia in 2007, through the invasion of Georgia in 2008. And so I think, thank God, that the Baltic states, right, mm-hmm. La- Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, thank God that, you know, that, that Romania, right, and Bulgaria and, and the other, you know, former Warsaw Pact countries did get access to NATO because how, how, much, how much worse would it be? It would be a lot worse. If they weren't members of NATO, he's already occupied Belarus. He just in, he just intervened in Kazakhstan, right? He's been intervening actually in Ukraine at least since 2004 with a rigged election there. You know, he is he's he's actually planned a coup uh, and 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 uh, and was going to commit an assassination uh, in 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 Montenegro. You know, he's undermined uh, Moldova. He's attacked our democracy and and, and, and countries in Europe with, with cyber-enabled information warfare, right? right. So, okay, okay. So, 
what, 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 what I think is really important is that, you know, it is not us. And what, what I, what I really, what bothers me about this so-called realist school, right, is they engage in not only moral equivalence, but in just continuous self-flagellation. And if you go back to Putin's speech, just read his, 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 so, his essay that he published, 6,000-word essay in the summer of last year. Mm-hmm. That was his blueprint, right, for invading Ukraine. And, you know, I mean, in that, his argument is is the Mearsheimer argument, right? And, and, and what he said is, okay, he said, Ukraine has been orphaned. But the, the former foreign minister of Poland, uh, you know, uh, you know S- Sikorsky, you know, he said, hey, you know, we were never your children, Russia. Right. And right. by the way, what we did in 19... 19- you know, in, in, in the 1990s is we ended the serial rape and occupation of our countries by Russia. Right. And this theory is now being tested, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, by Ukrainians fighting for their own national identity, fighting for their own will to live as they choose to live, fighting to continue with the path they set for themselves, quite independent of any power, imperial or otherwise, in their neighborhood. Absolutely. And so, you know, no one has done more to, to you know, to, to uh, you know, strengthen Ukrainian uh, sense of nationalism than Vladimir Putin. Maybe Stalin did, right? I mean, Stalin in the 1930s uh, starved to death probably 10 million people in Ukraine, uh, in the Holomodor, in, during which to subjugate Ukraine, right, to subsume it within the Soviet Union, uh, he he uh, he collectivized all, all the agriculture, right. and he shipped grain to Russia as people were starving. Right. Yes. And so, so the Ukrainian people. I mean, people were in that part of the world, except the United States. The United States really we have historical amnesia. Right. We we don't we don't, we don't remember anything. Right. But I mean, but in Europe, I mean, the Ukrainians remember this. And so, you know, I I think it's it's important to understand the history. And how strong the Ukrainians have been under duress, not just now, uh, but 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 in the previous century as well. HR, I want to ask you about China and Russia right now. We're going to start this conversation. We got a minute thirty before we go to the next break, and then we're going to be on this entire subject the next segment. Your thoughts on China and Russia, and what China's interests are or aren't with how this plays out in Ukraine. Okay, <laughs> you know. I'll tell you, Major, we need to hang this Ukraine Ukraine around the necks of the Chinese Communist Party uh, because, you know, they helped facilitate it. And anybody who doubts it, look at what they're saying right now. Right. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is propagating some of these, you know, conspiracy theories, the, these untruths about, you know, biological weapons, you know, de- developed, uh, you know, by the Ukraine. Amplifying Russian propaganda. Amplified Russian propaganda. Any site in China that calls it a war it gets taken down, right? And and think about what you know the 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 you know, the five thousand word statement that Xi Jinping and Putin released right before the Olympics, right? Where you know where where uh, where where they both I mean the they alliance were has of, no limits, no limits, right? They're they're each other's BFFs, right? Xi Jinping and Vladimir and Vladimir Putin. And they also talked about a new era of international relations. You know what that means? That what that means is, hey, the United States is over. We're done. Mm-hmm. Right. The West is done. Europe is done. Hey, you know, bandwagon with us because our authoritarian statist, you know, ec- economies and, and political systems. Hey, we're the future. Right. Well, how's that working out? 
right, for, for Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. And we need to hang it around China's neck, and we need to stop underwriting our own demise by continuing to continuing normal relations uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. We're going to pick up that thought on the other side of this break with H.R. McMaster. I'm Major Garrett, segment for The Takeout in just one second. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Back with H.R. McMaster, President Trump's second of four national security advisors. Uh, we're continuing you know, our Major, conversation. I got to tell, tell you a story, right? My, yeah, yeah. my Secret Service detail, who I loved, it became like family to me, you know? Right. And and my daughter you know, broke up with the boyfriend, a boyfriend we all loved. You know, I mean, okay. the guy's just a nice guy, right? But right. It, just, it wasn't meant to be, right? It wasn't meant and to be, okay. It, it wasn't meant to be. And it's okay, you know, but, but my, my Secret Service guys were like, really? She she broke up. Oh, come on, because they missed him. They they were sad about it, and they said, you know, you said they said they said that my daughter, you know, changes boyfriends like Trump changes national security advisors. Is what they said. <laughs> Out of the mouths of the Secret Service, ladies and gentlemen, you will find many, much collected wisdom. Uh, picking up on the point you had just before the break, uh, it has been said by lots of people much smarter than I am, H.R. Uh, McMaster, that China and Russia like to think of the world in spheres of influence. And to your point, they like to think of it as America and Europe declining in influence, China overseeing, if you will, much of Asia, Russia encroaching on Europe, and America and Europe in decline. If that is their theory, how is that crashing on rocks metaphorically in Ukraine? Well, it's crashing on rocks, right? Because, you know, totalitarians, authoritarian leaders, they look strong, right? I mean, you know, Putin's like, he, he, he you know, he, he plays these staged hockey games, right? He's, he appears shirtless on a horseback, right? He's, uh, he's the tough guy, right? And, and I'm sure he looked at, at Vladimir Zelensky and thought, okay, who's this guy? Like, he's an actor, right? He's a comedian. He's a, you know, he's a ballroom dancer, right? But, but actually, totalitarianism is weak it's brittle democracy in all of our ugliness and all the traumas we've been through is actually strong because we have mechanisms for self-correction and improvement you know below the threshold of revolution right and and so putin i think it's important to recognize hey he has more people in his internal security service than there are in the russian military and it's also important to know that he has more political prisoners in jail right now than there were in jail at the height of the Soviet Union in the middle of the Cold War. So I, I think, Major, it, it, it's important for us to, to have confidence, right? And, and, but, what, you know, and what, are, what are China's calculations? There are those who have written that China wants this to drag on because the longer it drags on, the more Europe and the United States will become estranged. There are already Chinese emissaries in Europe saying, hey, America's basically foisting all the costs of this on you, refugees, placement of troops, higher energy prices. Why don't you get off this thing with America and Ukraine? It's not worth it for you. 
China is working this in a way to try to maximize its influence in the region. But also, I've read that Russia and China don't do that much economic business, and China has larger economic concerns because if secondary sanctions are applied and Chinese businesses get swept up into this, a long-running war in Ukraine might not be in its best interest. Give me your thoughts. Well, hey, I mean, this is so important. I'm so glad you're talking about this. Everybody needs to be talking about it, about, about China and Russia. They need to hang together, right? And we have to recognize that we, we need to abandon this kind of myth that China, you know, if we welcome them into the international community, that they'll play by the rules, that they will, you know, they, they, will, they, they will liberalize their economy and, and their form of governance. No. I mean, this is the Chinese Communist Party, an authoritarian regime that is doing everything they can to extend and tighten their grip on power internally through the, the you know the extinguishment of, of human rights, you know, by persecution of anybody who has the temerity to criticize them, journalists, their citizens, you know, the you know the what what they're doing in, in terms of slow genocide, you know, in, in Xinjiang, uh what what they've done in Hong Kong to to extinguish any any kind of rights there. But how about externally? And you know, major, I mean I I just think look at Chinese behavior. Don't look at what they say, right? Because they always spout this kind of nonsense of, you know, we call on all parties. We respect sovereignty. It's complete BS, right? I mean, it's complete BS, right? Look at what they do. Look at what they've done since foisting COVID on the world, right? Suppressing the, 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 anyone uh, and, 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 and persecuting anyone who's trying to ring the alarm bells about COVID. These are journalists and, and, uh, and, and, and medical uh, professionals. How about then adding insult to injury with this wolf warrior diplomacy? Just read their statements about Ukraine right now, mm -hmm. right? And 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 how they're parroting all the Russian propaganda and disinformation. Hey, but you know, how about also the physical actions they've taken? Bludgeoning Indian soldiers to death on the Himalayan frontier, trying to claim, you know, ownership of the ocean in the South China Sea, the, you know, part of the ocean through which one, you know, one third of the world's surface trade flows. How about you know ramming and sinking you know Vietnamese vessels there? How about you know the the threats to Taiwan and Japan with the overflights and, and violation of their airspaces? Uh, but but also how about the massive cyber attacks against us, like against our medical research facilities in the midst of a pandemic, really? And then economic coercion against Australia and Lithuania. Okay, so now look what they're doing to enable enable this Russian assault and mass murder inflicted on Ukrainians. Hang it around their neck. Ukraine should be a lodestone that finally drags down China. And we have to make business decisions, Major. I mean, why is it that U.S. financial firms, why is it that Wall Street is still investing in China? It's crazy. We are actually you know, enabling the financial flows that are the scaffolding that holds up China's you know, financial model. Right, their statist, you know, authoritarian model. So stop being actually the cause of our own demise. You know, I'm thinking of a Clinton quote, Major. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I say Clinton, I'm thinking of uh, of of George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic. Right. In in the in the 1970s, they released an album called "America Eats Its Young," and one and one of the tracks on that album was like, "What was uh, you know, if you don't like the effect, don't produce the cause." Right. And and I think, how about that in connection with China? One last thing before we go for our radio audience, H.R. McMaster, what would you say has surprised you most 
about the inefficiencies or inabilities of the Russian military in Ukraine? They're inept. They're inept, right? And so describe uh, that. What does that mean? What, what it means is they cannot, they can't fight in close combat. Close combat, right? The, the ability to defeat a defending enemy and establish control over populations and territory is pretty darn complicated. And what you have to be able to do is you have to conduct fire and maneuver. You have to be able to employ all arms, infantry, armor, or mobile protective firepower, artillery, joint capabilities in combination to create multiple dilemmas for a defending enemy who has all the advantages of the defense, right? They can conceal themselves. They can occupy positions in advance. And so the, the Russians can't do it. They're a corrupt institution within a corrupt government. And so I think the corruption of, you know, of, of Russia uh, under Putin has certainly inflicted their military. And, you know, I mean, major, there's a, you know, the, Napoleon said the moral is to the physical in war as a, as a, a three to one. And, and what the moral component is, is confidence, confidence in your ability to fight your training, your, your, your uh, confidence in your teammates, right? The man and woman next to you who's right. willing to give everything, including their own lives for you. And so you need you know, a psychological strength to close with and destroy the enemy, to know that every bullet's not meant for you so that you can take risk and you can win. Right. In close combat. They can't they can't do it. They, Who you're fighting they with and what you're fighting for matter a great deal. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell. That's the voice of H.R. McMaster, President Trump's second national security advisor. Stay tuned for those of you watching on CBS streaming and those listening on podcasts, the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. You know, this is typically the fun and games part of the program, but let's just be candid. Ukraine is not a fun and games subject right now. H.R. McMaster is our special guest. H.R. has a podcast. Most everyone in America does these days. I don't know if you've noticed. Battlegrounds is the name of the podcast. H.R., tell us what the uh, what that's all about. Well, you know, in, in my book, Battlegrounds, so I, I was kind of unimaginative, you know, in terms of the title of the, <laughs> branding, of the podcast. Branding, branding, branding. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, w w what it's meant to do is to foster strategic empathy, a term that I've borrowed from a great historian named Zachary Shore. And that's really our ability to view complex challenges and, and opportunities abroad from the perspective of others. So it's long format interviews with world leaders. So you know, I've interviewed people from, you know, President Santos to Prime Minister Abe to all of my you know, the former counterparts as national security advisors who were kind enough to come on the program. But recently, I just interviewed Oleksiy Honcharik, uh, who is in Kiev. Uh, and also, I interviewed the, the Polish chief of defense, uh, General Andrzejczyk. So what I try to do is, is not just it's not just a current events thing, but it's meant to deepen our understanding of these challenges and opportunities abroad. So that so that we can improve our competence in coping with them and that we can 
partner, right, with with like-minded nations and 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 others internationally to build a better future for generations to come. So that's the theme, and it's fun to do it. I get to to you know to to rekindle you know conversations right. with old friends, uh, but but uh, you know I I think that. Viewers would like to see maybe the perspective of Alexei Huncharik. It would be complimentary to to this podcast and 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 what you're doing, Major, and and to hear his perspective uh, from from Kiev. So, HR, we have three threshold questions we ask every single guest on this program. This program is in its sixth year, so lots of people have answered these questions, and our audience loves the answers because through them they get to know who they've been listening to. So, take these questions in whichever order you prefer. The most influential book in your life or one of the most influential books in your life and why? All-time favorite movie? And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're going to listen to some music you really, really love, what is that music most likely to be, either by artist or genre? Okay, so, all right. Uh, so, f- uh, first of all, a book, it's so it's impossible. I, I can't I, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, because I'm a historian, right? So, right. I mean, so, I, so I, but but I would think that and these days, probably Americans won't 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 read this, but I hope they do. But read read Don Higginbotham, one of, one of my advisors at, at University of North Carolina, where I got my doctorate in history. What a phenomenal guy! I loved the man. He's he's a wonderful historian and just a wonderful person. But he he wrote a book called The War of American Independence. And these days, you know, when we have all these you know doubts about who we are as a people and mm-hmm. so forth, I mean. It's just a good corrective to all that, and it's a it's a it's a well written, well told story, right? Um, so Don Higginbotham, anything he's written, but but that book in particular, a movie. Gosh, it's so hard, man. I'm terrible at popular culture. I love movies, you know, but but I but I but I, you know, I, I'm thinking of all the you know the military movies that are that. Are, hey, you know, how about Gettysburg, man? You yeah. Know? And so if you're interested in, in things military, yes. Now I'm a cavalry officer, so mm-hmm. you know, when Buford rides up, right. <laughs> On the, on the seminary ridge yep. and he goes i've seen it like it already happened right yep. he's, a, he's the he's he's the paragon of, yes. of, of a cavalry officer setting conditions for the battle how can you not love that i mean i, I love it right i i, I mean it's one of my all-time favorite movies and if you go back in the archives of this show either hr or anyone who's interested we did a hour long with ron maxwell who brought that story to <laughs> film Okay, and it's one of right. my favorite. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done of this show. We did it at his house <laughs> in rural Virginia. Uh, that is a great, great movie. As a matter of fact, HR, I watch that movie every Fourth of July. Do you really? Okay, all right. I'll start doing that too, man. Because I mean, one of my, it's, one of my rituals. Favorite music before we go. Okay, hey, you know, I'll tell you. You mentioned how many national security advisors Trump had. It was a lot. Uh, <laughs> and and so you start thinking about like what distinguishes you. I wasn't going to be the. I wasn't going to be the shortest serving, right? Right. Uh, I don't know if I was the longest. Serving. I don't think it was the longest serving, but it, you know, and and you look at uh, the broad range of national security advisors, right? You know, I'm not going to be the smartest, right? Henry Kissinger, God, you know, the guy's brilliant, you know, whatever. So what distinguishes me? I think I I, I want to be known as the funkiest national security advisor, major. <laughs> so, I mean, you might think that's incongruous, right? Like mm-hmm. as a, as a retired general, but you know, I grew up on. You know, old Motown, but funk, you know, I mean, real. I mean, and I mentioned Parliament Funkadelic already. Right. So, you know, I think rhythm is important to life. I think appreciation for music, because I love that you asked this question, you know, is important to to to, to life because, you know, people who appreciate music are, t- are empathetic. Right. They listen to others. They have a sense of rhythm. Right. And mm-hmm. and, and there's a rhythm 
to foreign policy, to national security. There's a rhythm to battle, right? And, and so, and, and to combat. And so I, I just think that, you know, it's an important question, but hey, funk, man, old funk. funk. Old fuck. That is great and unexpected. The voice of HR McMaster, our special guest this week. It's been a pleasure, sir. Be well. We'll be in touch. Everyone, we'll see you next week on The Takeout. Thanks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand-new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.